Well, before we begin our, our study, as we resume back in uh, Romans, so go ahead and open your Bibles to Romans chapter 15. We're going to look at verses 14 through 21 in a message I've entitled, The Christian's Ministry. But let's pray. Lord God, again, we are so thankful for what you've done for us, Lord. Just declaring our sins pure, white, and forgiven for all eternity. And we could never declare that or understand that enough. And I pray, Lord God, this morning that through the power of your Holy Spirit, we would see how great you are through your word. And you would show us, Lord God, how we might glorify you even more. How we, as fallen people, would be a witness and a testimony of your great love to this world that so desperately needs it. And Lord God, right now I just feel led to pray for our leadership of our country and all those who create policy and try to declare things to the world what we must follow. I pray, Lord God, that your Holy Spirit would convict them of sin, would turn their hearts towards you, Lord God, and that they would decree and declare things from your holy word and not from this evil world system. We pray this, Lord God, and ask for your help in all things. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. All right. Well, as we get, we're coming to the end of Romans, we come to a part, a section of Scripture where Paul, as we'll see, just really declares his passion and ministry for the church at Rome and his ministry that was given to him by God in general. We pretty much have finished all the instruction that the Apostle Paul was going to give to the church. And so, again, we come to the conclusion of this letter in these last two chapters. And as I was thinking about it, thinking of just passion for what you do, yesterday we ended, my son Jonathan's soccer team ended their season. And we were so good the team didn't even show up for the last game. That's how good we are. I don't want to take credit for that but I am the head coach. No, I don't know why they didn't show. I think it was, it was a makeup game, and they were just like, whatever. But, you know, as we, we still played, we grabbed a few kids that were on, around the field and had a, our own little game to end our season. But it's really cool if you've ever coached anything or, or taught anything, just to see the development of those that you teach and coach. And uh, it was great to see, the, you know, each and every one of those kids' skills develop over the course of the season. You know, in, so- in soccer, there's, when you play it right, by the way, there's a lot of passing going on. It's like, when are they going to move the ball forward, right? If you've ever watched it, it's always going back and sideways. But for me, I would love to see the six-year-old just do that all day long. And if you know soccer, you understand what I'm talking about. It's just a, it's a beautiful thing to see. And they started to get that towards the end of the season. So it was, it was exciting for me as a coach to see them finally get it. And it, it was great. And so how does that relate to what we're talking about? The point is, is the passion of any sort, as I mentioned, if you teach, coach, lead anything or have ever had an opportunity to lead anything and you have a passion for it and you see those people under you develop, it's a great thing. And so this morning we're going to look, as I mentioned, the Apostle Paul's passion for his fellow believer, the passion for the ministry that God has given him. And as we go through this, I want you to think about what about you? What do you have a passion for in the body of Christ? Do you have a passion to build up your fellow believer, those who are sitting in this room? Do you have a passion for that? Do you have a passion to see them grow? 
you have a passion for the area that you serve within the church, or maybe even you serve somewhere outside the church in some capacity, do you have a passion for it? Because if you truly have a passion for it, it's going to change the way that you do things. And so this morning, I pray that you leave with a passion, even more than you have now, for the things of God, a passion for serving within the church and serving your fellow brothers and sisters in our church in general. So let's go and look at this passion the Apostle Paul has, and let's read at verses uh, 14 through 21, and then come back and, and go through it as we always do. So he writes, And concerning you, my brethren, I myself am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to admonish one another. But I have written very boldly to you in some points, so as to remind you again, because of the grace that was given me from God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest, the gospel of God, so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. <clears throat> for I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and round about as far as Illyricum, I have preached the gospel of Christ. And thus I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, they who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. And we'll stop right there. So again, the Apostle Paul just declaring his passion for his ministry, and, and especially, obviously, who he's writing to for them. And he starts off really just describing the character of this church. You notice that in verse 14, he lists three things about them. He says that they're full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to admonish one another. This seems to be a church that is growing and thriving in their faith. If you remember in Romans, the very beginning of the, of the letter to the church at Rome, in verse 8 of chapter 1, this is what he says about them. And again, he sums it up here. But he says this, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. So the church was known amongst the Christian world, for sure, of their faith. And that's why I said they must have had a thriving faith. And the Apostle Paul even says here they're full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and able to admonish one another, a healthy maturing church this is one of the only letters by the apostle paul where there are no rebukes or reprimands in the letter they didn't have a bunch of dissension going on within the church it would seem like like they did in corinth or some of the other places he didn't have to admonish anybody a matter of fact what does he say that he's doing he says in verse 15 but i have written very boldly to you on some points so as to remind you again. Now, this doesn't mean that the church was so, you know, growing in their faith that they didn't need any instruction. That's never the experience, and I hope you know that. That as you grow in your walk as a Christian, 
and in life in general, don't you, don't you see that the more you learn, the more you know that I don't know? And whatever the subject is, you know, you might think you're the greatest at something, but the more you learn about it, you, you realize, you know, I don't really know everything. And that's true here with the church at Rome, is even though the Apostle Paul is praising them, he says, I still need to remind you of some things. He even says, I need to boldly remind you, because he was stern in this letter to the church. But again, they weren't being rebuked or reprimanded. It wasn't like they were doing things against the Lord. There wasn't sin, big major sin and dissension going on within the church. It was a thriving church, a church full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to admonish one another. So then what is the purpose for him writing? As I already said, it was to remind them. He said to remind you. It really is to encourage them by, by way of reminder. You see, that word reminder then is a more nuanced than what we think. It's like it's not that they forgot or they didn't know how to do it. It means something else. It was, to stir their, it was to stir them up so that they would continue in the things that they already know. That's one way of using it. Drilling into their memory so that they can have instant recall in their faith. And that's how it's used in uh, 2 Peter chapter 2. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 12 through 13, or 12 and 13, and then also in 15, the Apostle Peter says the same thing to the church about reminding them. And he says this, Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things. Obviously, we don't have time to go through 2 Peter right now, but there are things that he'd already said. He's like, I need to remind you of these things, even though you already know them. So it's like you know them, but I also need to remind you. Not because you forgot, but there's another reason why he needs to remind them. And have been established in truth, which is present with you, I consider it right. As long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir up by way of reminder. And to stir up what they already know so that they continue to do it. And then he also says in verse 15, And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure you will be able to call these things to mind. So Peter's saying, after I leave, I want you guys to remember these things. Not that you don't know them, but I just always want them to be present with you. If you're a parent, you understand this. How many times do you drill something into your child's head so that when you're not there, they will remember? So you children know that we're just looking out for you in the future because guess what? One day we're not going to be there. and We want you to do the right thing. So that's one reason why he reminds them. Not that they don't know it, but so that they don't forget it. So that they're stirred up and they can recall it at any time because it's been drilled into them. This is a, a sense of what the Apostle Paul is saying, why he's doing this to the church. That word remind can also be used to mean to be a safeguard as a help so they don't get in trouble in the future. This meaning can be drawn from Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, where the Apostle Paul writes, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write these things again, so he's reminding them, he says, is no trouble... To me, it is a safeguard for you. So again, we need to be reminded so that we're protected. And, and you know, as a pastor, sometimes I think, well, I've already taught this lesson. I'm going to say the same thing, but who knows how the Lord is going to use it. Sometimes we need to be reminded of things. Sometimes we forget. 
Sometimes we'll be going through something and, we're, and it calls to remembrance. Oh, yeah, that's what the Lord is saying I need to do in this situation. It's a safeguard. And so I like there's a couple quotes that John MacArthur said, and this won't come up. I just have them uh, written out here or typed out. He said, even for the best of minds with the sincerest devotion, that which is not kept familiar eventually will be forgotten. How many of you forget things that you've heard over and over again, right? We, I do all the time. It's a const- we need to be constantly reminded about something so that we don't forget. Even if we had the best intentions to remember it, we still forget. I use that excuse all the time with my wife. You need to constantly remind me. She says, we've been married for 18 years. Don't you know already? No, don't you know? I don't know we've been married that long. You got to turn it on. No, just kidding. Amen, right? I don't think she's in here, so I won't be okay. <laughs> Somebody will tell. There's always one of you women. I'm not going to say who. Mandy's like, I heard. Dang. So I told her, hey, you know, yesterday she taught the women's uh, luncheon. I said, you c- there's your chance to get back at me. But she doesn't repay evil for evil. So At least no, nobody in there is telling me anything. I want it. We got to get in there, Ben, and, and mic her up somehow because I got to hear these things. The Apostle Paul, or no, not the Apostle Paul, but John MacArthur also writes, and this is for pastors. It really spoke to me. He says, a major responsibility of every pastor is to teach his people truths they already know in ways that refresh and reinforce. So when I come across a passage, I got to think of, okay, like I mentioned earlier, I've already taught on this, but maybe there's something else to the Lord wants to teach somebody and say it in a different way to reinforce or to refresh your memory. So that's what's going on here in, in the in the book of Romans here. The Apostle Paul, again, not that they forgot, they don't know because he's already praised them for their faith, but he wants to remind them to stir them up to good works, to protect them as a safeguard so that when he's gone, he hasn't even been to that church before, by the way, which we'll learn in a few weeks, but he's heard about them. He's just reminding them in this way so that was the purpose we find out for his writing to the church at rome he has another one which we'll learn later on in the weeks to come so that's the purpose well what persuaded the apostle paul to write to the church with such passion again i mentioned he had never even been to this church before but yet he has this extreme passion to write to them one of the greatest letters that we have in scripture Why was he so passionate about this? Well, I believe he tells us as we look at verses 15 through 17. Or the really remainder of the section. Let me read it again. Verse 15. He says, but I have written very boldly to you on some points. So as to remind you again. And here's why. Because of the grace that was given me from God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. Ministering as a priest. The gospel of God. So it's because he's been called to do this. The Apostle Paul is one of those lucky ones who actually heard from God audibly. What he was supposed to do. How many of you would love to hear that? How many want to hear God's voice? Maybe you don't. But <laughs> if it's a good thing, right? Not like uh, when he called to Adam and said, you know, what are you doing? Where are you? Why are you hiding? I don't want that one. 
But, you know, we read scripture and we think, hey, God speaks to people audibly all the time. No, this this is really an unusual thing. And I wish sometimes we do wish he would speak to us and give us clear direction. Sometimes we just have to go on the knowledge that we have and make a decision and trust in the Lord when we make those decisions. But the Apostle Paul was firm and he knew what his ministry was. Because God had commissioned him to do it. And let's just look at two scriptures here this morning where we see this. And the first one is in the book of Acts, chapter 9, verses 10 through 16. Acts 9, verses 10 through 16. So here we're going to pick up the story where the Apostle Paul has already been commissioned by God. And he's in the house, blinded, waiting for further direction. And so... God speaks to another man. He says this. He says, now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, get up and go to the street called Straight. And inquire at the house of Judas for a man named, for, excuse me, for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. So the Apostle Paul is at a guy named Judas's house, not Judas Iscariot. He's long gone off the seed. He's praying and he's blind. It says, verse 12, and he, he has seen a vision, or he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. So God wants him to go to lay his hands on the Apostle Paul so that he might receive sight. And if you know about the Apostle Paul, at this time, the church knows him as the guy that's taking Christians and dragging them off to prison. So Ananias is being told, go see Paul and pray over him. And what do you think Ananias says? Verse 13, but Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said, go, for he's a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show you how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Imagine getting that call. You know somebody that if you were in front of them, they would haul you off to prison because you're a Christian. God telling you, go, go see him. <laughs> you're like, wait, Lord, I know you know all things, but just let me remind you what this guy does. Although if I was Ananias, I would love verse 16. I will show you how much he must suffer. Oh, now we're talking. Now I'm going to go to the Apostle Paul. That's right. He's going to suffer. But so this was a calling on the Apostle Paul, and it was confirmed by another believer. Not only that, in the book of Galatians, chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, says this this was the apostle paul speaking to the church at galatia he says but when god who set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me so that i might preach him among the gentiles i did not immediately consult with flesh and blood so the apostle paul knows that from eternity past although he didn't know at the time as he looks back in his life he sees that god had set him apart for this ministry to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. So Paul had a distinct calling on his life, and it was confirmed, one, through others, Ananias. And again, he could look back on his life and see where God might have moved 
how God might have been preparing him for this time in his life. And because of this, he felt bound, obligated, persuaded to minister to the Gentiles as we look back at our text in verse 16. So this is why the Apostle Paul has this passion. When you know you are called to do something, you will have a passion for it. You will fight through all the hardships for it. You will suffer for the Lord's sake because you know this is what God has called me to do. So looking back at our text, that's the Apostle Paul's passion. He's called to be a minister to the Gentiles. Not only that, he is also ministering, he says in verse 16, as a priest of the gospel of God. Verse 16 after he says he's been given this grace by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gospels, ministering as a priest, the gospel of God. So he realizes he's a, his position is as a priest now. He's considered a priest, and he's ministering to the Gentiles. And that word ministering, you may or may not know, it is used as of like a waiter. He's waiting on the Gentiles. That's what a minister is. They're serving the gospel to the people. And that's how the Apostle Paul saw himself as a waiter. God has given me the, the gospel, he's saying, to serve to the Gentiles. That's his ministry. That's what he's called to do. Again, it's like a, minute, it's like a waiter who goes and gives you your order hopefully correctly, and hopefully on time. The Apostle Paul was called to do that. He realized this is my ministry, therefore I'm going to do it to the best of my ability, which he elaborates on in a few moments. Because in verses 16 through 19, he talks about how he wants his offering to be accepted by God. God has given him a precious privilege to minister the gospel of God to the Gentiles And the Apostle Paul, if you know anything about him, he wants to do the best that he can to the best of his ability. And that's why he says, let's look at the rest of this verse and starting in uh, verse uh, at the end of verse 16. He says, so that my offering of the Gentile. So he realized that what he's giving back to God is the ministry that he's been given and he wants to give it back to God, he says uh, in verse 16. So that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable and sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of Gentiles by word and deed. So the Apostle Paul, here's my ministry. I'm going to do the best I can so that when I present it before God, here's what I've done for you, Lord. And I know it's not in my strength, but it's in your strength, in your power. It's an acceptable one. He does the best that he can. He doesn't give it 50%. If you know the Apostle Paul, he gives it 100%. He does it to the best of his ability. And he, he ultimately sees his reward as the obedience of those he's serving. That is the greatest reward. As I mentioned at the beginning, my greatest reward is not that the kids won in soccer. It's that they got it that they developed, that they grew, that they understood more that when they began. You know, we don't always get, and as a pastor, obviously that's my passion too, to see each and every one of you grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, to grow in your relationship with him, 
to go out and serve the Lord in various different ways. That's the greatest thing that could be done. And the apostle Paul said, that's all I want. I just want the Gentiles to be obedient in word and deed. And not because he's so great, he says, because I know it's the Holy Spirit that sanctifies them. And he's going to boast of nothing but what Jesus has done. So that's his passion. He wants his offering to be acceptable by God. And he wants to fulfill the word of God. And that's what we find in verses 20 through 21 as he quotes the Old Testament passage from Isaiah 52, 15. You see, Paul recognizes that his work is part of a larger work prophesied by God. He knew the Old Testament prophets talked about the inclusion of the Gentiles in the salvation into the nation of Israel. And he's like, my part in the larger scheme is to be that tool that God uses to speak to the Gentiles. And his ministry is that of a missionary. He's a church planner, and we see that throughout the, the New Testament. He plants churches. He puts leaders in place, and then he moves on to the next church. So he wasn't a pastor. He was the church planter, the missionary. And that's why he says here in verse 20, And thus I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. He knew his position. He wasn't a pastor. He was a missionary. And each and every one of us has our position within the church of God. Not all could be missionaries. Not all can be pastors and, and preachers and teachers and evangelists. God's given each and every person in the church a different gift for the work of ministry to build up the saints, the book of Ephesians says. The apostle Paul's, Paul's was a missionary. That's what he did. And when he was with the church, he helped them develop, and he heard about the church. It was great for him to see. So as we turn to our application part of our, our message this morning, what is, let me ask you, what is your ministry? Do you know what it is? Do you have one? Maybe you think, well, I, I don't have one. I don't know what it is. God's never spoken to me audibly and told me what to do. Well, let's look at what Scripture says, because there is a ministry that each and every one of us has. Maybe you don't know where you're supposed to fulfill that ministry, but there is a ministry that we have, every believer. So turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and just look at verses 17 through 20. So if you're a believer... This is your ministry. In verse 17, the Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, very familiar verse, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old thing, the old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And look at this, gave us, that's the church, not just the Apostle Paul, the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Our ministry is to reconcile God and man by delivering the gospel. And how that plays out 
is different for each and every one of us. But the grand scheme of things is that's our ministry, reconciliation, whether it's prayer or evangelism or teaching or witnessing or whatever it is through good works and faith. Our ministry as believers, each and every one of us, is reconciliation, reconciling man and God through the preaching of the gospel in some sense. Again, doesn't mean you walk around with the pulpit preaching the gospel. That's not what we're talking about. It's going to look different for each and every one of us, but that is the goal. That is the ministry Christ has given us. So it could be, let me give you just a few examples of where this can start in our lives. Number one, within our family. We, as uh, believers, just look around in your immediate family, especially as children, Our job as mom and dad is to help our children to be reconciled to God. That's a big ministry right there. And it's a lifelong. And even after they leave the house, it may still be reconciling them to God. Or extended family. How about within the church, the people that we sit next to every Sunday, do ministry with, participate in life with, help them be reconciled to God. How about at your place of business? Is everybody at your at your work, your job, a believer? It is your position there to be helping them to reconcile themselves to God in some way. Or how about your place of recreation? You're involved in sports. My wife always reminds me, don't yell, you're a pastor. Hey, but they don't know that. <laughs> so let's keep it on the down, though. It's about winning. It's about winning. No. That six-year-old needs to score. No, I'm just kidding. But even there on um, the soccer field for, for me, I need to be a witness to them as well. Here you have um, impressionable children that you could be a witness to in some way. Or what about in your neighborhoods? Is every neighbor a believer? Probably not. I, th- I thought of my son, Jonathan. He has a little uh, next-door neighbor friend. He's cool. And uh, I didn't know this because, you know, I'm not an involved dad, I guess. But he's been praying for his little friend next door. Yeah, it's cool. And um, sorry. Man, every time I talk about my children. But anyways, he's been praying for him he doesn't go to church and he's been wanting to talk to him about the Lord which is really cool and so he shares his Sunday school message with his little friend I'm like I gotta tell the teachers that because you know they think these kids don't listen you know but they do they do and it was cool he uh he was telling about the good Samaritan and uh I guess the kid wasn't getting it and so I was like watching him outside and Jonathan's acting it out for him. <laughs> he's got his little Bible, and he's, he's reading the story to the kid, which is really cool. And uh, he's like, he's got, okay, you got to listen, because I'm going to ask you questions <laughs> about this. <laughs> yeah, not, <laughs> I think he's his teacher. You got to get this lesson, because I'm going to ask you questions. Okay, he's like, who helped the, the guy that was on the ground? You know, he's asking them. And the kids, every answer kid gives, God, you know. Yeah, and, and Jonathan's, act, Jonathan's on the ground rolling around like he's the guy that got beaten up. That was, like, really cool. That was really cool. 
And uh, so we're, we're praying, you know, Jonathan's little witnesses there, but for us, a friend, we'll come to church uh, maybe even to VBS this year, which will be really cool. So it's cool because Jonathan has a birthday party day, and he invited his little friend, so he's coming. So that's, that's really cool that his parents are trusting us to take their kid to a birthday party. So we're hoping and praying that one day he'll be here. It'll be cool. But it's just a reminder in our neighborhoods. You know, I don't do that. I don't go to my neighbor and go, hey, Dale, um, uh, you're the one about the good Samaritan. <laughs> He's probably like, oh, I got I to gotta go. <laughs> but what's your ministry? We're, we have that ministry of reconciliation. And the other thing, the Apostle Paul says that he's a priest. We, too, are priests in some sense. Turn uh, to 1 Peter chapter 2, looking at uh, verses 5, 9, and 10. This is a, a great uh, reminder to me all, always about our ministry and who we are in Christ. And again, it's every believer in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 5. Peter writes this, he says, you, speaking to the entire church, also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a royal priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He's telling the church, you're a royal priesthood. The priesthood in the Old Testament no longer exists in that sense. Every believer now is a priest to some extent, offering up spiritual sacrifices, he says. And then going down, dropping down to verse 10, he says, but you are, or verse 9, I'm sorry. He says, um, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are a people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, as priests, we realize, you know what? I once wasn't a child of God. He's made me a child of God. He's made me a priesthood. And now I'm going to go out and proclaim his excellencies, worship, you know, witness, event, whatever it is, declaring to the world who God is in any way that we can. We're priests. I remember when I moved into uh, my first condo, the landlord that, was, uh, that rented it out to us was a Christian. And he told me, you need to the pri- be the priest of your family. And I was like, wow, that stuck with me to this day. I'm the priest over my family first before, you know, anybody else. And that was like, oh, that was heavy, but it, it stuck with me. That's right. I'm the priest of my family. And let's move on. These final three points. Is there a fellow believer, I ask you, who needs to be, re- to be reminded of some points in the Christian walk? The Apostle Paul said, I need, I'm writing boldly to you to remind you. And remember all that that meant. That means to be stirred up to good works, to be encouraged, to be reminded to protect themselves. Are there believers that you know within this church or even outside this church that need to be reminded of some points of their Christian walk. It is our responsibility as fellow believers, if we care about them and have a passion for them, to lovingly go to them and help stir them up. And that's what our men's groups and our women's groups do. They stir each other up into good works. 
And so when you isolate yourself and stay away from those things, who's encouraging you? Where are you going to be strengthened? Where are you going to be reminded? Where are you going to be told to watch the safeguards? You need those things. We need those things. Or just fellowship with believers. Don't be influenced so much by the world that you're not stirred up to good works. So I ask you, is there a fellow believer who needs to be reminded of some of these points? And maybe it's you yourself. Do you yourself need to be boldly reminded? You know, we don't always remember everything. We have an awesome privilege and get to come to church to be stirred up to good works. And I pray that's what these sermons do on Sundays, no matter who's teaching, that you're stirred up. You're reminded of the things that you already know and encouraged to go out and do them. And then lastly, is there someone in your life who needs to hear the good news of Christ? The Apostle Paul says, I'm not going to build on another man's foundation. And then he quoted from Isaiah 52. Back at our text, and I'm going to read that one more time, because this was his ministry. Those who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. He was talking about evangelism. That's what the Apostle Paul was as well as he was an evangelist. So maybe there's somebody in your life that needs, that's never even heard of the Lord and needs to know. Whatever it is, our ministry is a ministry of reconciliation and it plays out differently for each and every one of us in different areas of our life. And I'll end with this quote that's in your bulletin from, uh, again, from John MacArthur. He just had some really good stuff to say. He said, God does not call every believer to be an evangelist, but he calls every believer to be a witness. Let's pray. Lord God, we're so thankful for your salvation you've given each and every one of us. For we once were blind. We once were not your people. We once were in darkness, but you've called us into your marvelous light, and we thank you for that. And Lord God, may we fulfill our ministry of reconciliation in our lives with those people that are close to us, to those that we have a, an influence of, that we come in contact with a daily, on a daily basis. May you give us the boldness to proclaim your excellencies before them. And may you soften their hearts and open their eyes and ears so that they would hear your spirit, Lord God. And Lord God, if there's anybody in this room this morning who's just needed that reminder to be stirred up to good works, to be encouraged, to put safeguards around them, I pray that they would hear your spirit and do that. Help us all, Lord God, to constantly be building each other up unto good works so that we might glorify you in this wicked age. And we pray this, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Amen.